Okay, how many of you have been in conversations, maybe you're in a, a meeting of some sort at work, or, or you're just talking to some friends, and, and your friends or your uh, co-workers or something, they're, they're talking, and, and they say a word, a trigger word, or something like that, and all of a sudden it, it puts a thought in your mind, and now the entire rest of the conversation, you're just waiting for that place to insert your opinion or your advice, or that, that one solution that's going to change the whole game. How many of you have been there? It's, it's, it's very common. And to the point to where we, we really stop hearing anything else in the conversation. We just, we just think, okay, now it's about me getting my two cents in. And we don't, we don't mean it to be that way, but it's just kind of, it's just ingrained down in there. Um, sometimes I think that's what happened in, in this spot in Scripture in, in Acts 1. Jesus has been crucified now. He has been resurrected. He, he in fact, now he has been walking with these people. This, this man was, was put on a cross and killed. And he was in a tomb for three days, and, and now he's resurrected, and he's been walking around the city of Jerusalem with these people for 40 days. 40 days is a pretty important and significant number in, in scriptures. It, it tends to symbolize that, that God is doing something from this one place, and this is like the separation between something new that he's going to do. And so anytime you see 40 days in Scripture, that's often what it symbolizes. And in this case, I think God was, was doing something powerful. He was preparing his people. He wanted them to be able to see that, that I've done a miraculous work already, and, and I'm preparing you now to do something even greater. And so he's having a conversation with his disciples. And just picture, picture that meeting that you're in where, where now all of a sudden you can't hear a word that all the rest of the people are saying. All you're thinking about is the one thing that you want to say. And this is, this is the scene. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Do not leave Jerusalem, but, but wait for the gift of, that my father promised. Okay, all right, Jesus, thank you. Okay, all right, keep, keep going. Which, which you have heard me speak about for... For John baptized with water, okay, we know John baptized with water, Jesus, okay. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, we don't really know what that means, but, but is it now at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Because all of the things that you've done, we're still waiting. We're still anticipating for us to be released and set free from our captives because, as you know, in that time, they were under Roman rule. They were often, um, they were often put under the sword. They were often killed. They were very often crucified, which was a, a, a major way of putting down any insurrection or rebellion. So they were not free. They were not free to be who God created them to be. And so in their minds, this Messiah, he has, been, he has been built up to be this one who would set them free 
from the kingdoms of this world to be restored. That's kind of a, a key word, that, that restored. Because that means that they were once, at one point in the, in the history of Israel, they were at one point where they were meant to be. Right? So, so it takes us back to this scene where David was uh, uh, the king that they had been waiting for. You know, they had asked for a king. They didn't actually need a king, but they asked for a king because they wanted to be like all the other nations around them. They couldn't, they couldn't be content with God actually being their Lord. They wanted to, to make that a, a uh, part of their life as well. And so we got to go to Chronicles, 1 Chronicles, and, um, and we see that David comes in and now he has, he has marched his, his Israelite nation into, into the land of Canaan. They've been taking uh, stronghold after stronghold after stronghold. And they get to this place, uh, this city named Jebus, J-E-B-U-S. And the city, Jebus, means, the, the name means waterless hill. So you think, well... Why do we need to capture this fortress then if, if there's no water? And, and let me just tell you, if, if you are a, a defense strategist, the last place you want to set up a stronghold is on the top of a hill, but it has no water, right? Top of the hill, that's, that's an important part. But if it has no water, if it has no springs around it, it's going to be a very easy place to surround and cut off. And that's exactly how David actually conquered the city. They, they went in through the, the aqueducts that they had to, to man-make. And this, the Jebusites, they are now shouting down from their walls, you're not going to be able to come in here. And, and it says, nevertheless, nevertheless, David conquered the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David also known as the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is, is a word that comes from two words. It's a derivative of two words. And the first is shalem, which we get the word shalom from, which means the peace of God. And the, the first part of the word is yeru, which, which means God will see. And we have to go all the way back to where God... Um, gave the, or the Israelites a promise. And, and this promise was given on this exact hill. This hill that Abraham was actually asked to sacrifice his son and, and was spared. And so God gave him an addition, or a different sacrifice, a, a sacrifice that would take the place of his son, which is a, a foreshadow it's, 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 he's like a, a foreshadow of the Messiah, which we don't realize necessarily at the time. And so Abraham gives this, this hill, this place, the name Jeru, which means that God will see the promise, and then the promise is peace. The promise is righteousness. The promise is freedom. But the problem was is that 
Abraham was given this promise that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And it took decades for that promise to come. It took, it took decades for Abraham to see that promise. And then after, after God begins to fulfill that promise, you would think that, okay, now everything's going to be good. We're going we're gonna to be this great nation that, that the prom, part of this promise says that through you, all nations on earth will be blessed. Well, often we, we naturally go to this place, well, if, if it's going to be through me that I'm going to be blessing others, well, that means that I, I naturally kind of tend to exalt myself. I get to this place where I think, oh, I'm the one that gets to bless all those around me. I'm the one that, that stands higher than those um, subjected to my blessing, so to speak. And it came through Abraham, and, and as the nation began to grow, that's kind of their mindset, is that they were in this promise meant to be this great nation that through them, all nations will be blessed. That's their expectation. How many of us have these expectations that, that God only has good things for us according to our understanding? No, God only has good things for us. That is his promise. But I'm here to say, and based on the scriptures that we'll go through, it often doesn't look like what we think. It often doesn't look like the, that beautiful life that we as now as Christians we're supposed to experience. That day after day we're supposed to just walk in this place of, of wealth and power and authority. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to use it f to be a blessing to others. You know, as, as I am blessed by God, so therefore I will share my wealth. I will share my uh, shelter. I will share all of these things. That's, that's kind of our MO. We think that, that God is in this promise and he's faithful that it just means we get everything we want. We turn God into this, this vending machine type God that blessings are only material or, or prosperity. Well, prosperity is a word that doesn't actually mean wealth. It, it, it is something so much deeper. It's something that, that if we really grasp what God is trying to do in our lives, what Jesus came to do, we would understand prosperity so much differently. For the Israelite nation, prosperity was power. Prosperity was, was having the, the rule over the rest of the land, as, as God had said. So David comes in, and it's, it's at this moment that they, they reclaim this, this place that was, in their mind, their arrival. The holiest place in all of Israel because of that moment. That's where the promise was given. We talked about that promise a few weeks ago. And so, why else would you want a hill that, that you couldn't survive on? To this day, Israel is known as the waterless hill, which is why they have to bring in water. That's why they, they have um, wells dug so deep in order to, to bring up water. It's not a self-sustaining place. 
and yet it's the holiest place in all of, in all of the world, honestly. And so when David marched them in and took back this place, they had established in their mind what this promise was. That now uh, we're here, we can finally be permanent, we're no longer needing to wander, we're no longer needing to be nomads, we're no longer worshiping in a tent, we can actually build a temple and establish our nation. Because God has promised and he is faithful, he's always faithful. But yet for the next thousand years, they have gone through king after king after king that would do evil in the eyes of the Lord. They would turn to, to idol worship. They would not worship God. They would worship these idols. They were forced into a, a civil war. The, the nation of Israel was split and divided in two. They, they were exiled. They were forced out of their country as refugees. And they were reduced to a remnant of what they once were. They had to continually look back to these glory days that they once had, this, this moment where David, the greatest king of all of Israel, had conquered this place that God had promised them. And so they were constantly looking back. How often do we as adults look back to our glory days? We look back to those days where we're in high school, where we're, we're free, we don't have all of these responsibilities, and, and I can remember where it was just so, we were so free of stress. All we want to do is go back to those glory days when we didn't have responsibility. We didn't have people that, were, were, uh, that we were caring for. But yet, when you're back in that day, all you do is look forward to the day when you have responsibility. It's like we can't be content in any and every situation that we're in. We're always either looking to the future, in that future hope, that future anticipation of a better life than we have right now, or we're looking back to that life that once was better. We can't, we can't find contentment. We can't find that, that peace that God has promised us because that's where the freedom lies is when we, are, when we are set free from that, that anticipation of something that, that is, is, is better when God has his peace for us now. And, and keep in mind, that thing that we're looking for in the future that is better, yeah, we're looking for a future glory in, in the kingdom of heaven ultimately, but how many times does that come into play when we're talking about our future? We're talking about our financial wealth. We're talking about our, our, the next home we're going to buy or where we're going to move to. We're talking about all of these resource things of this kingdom, of this world. And it's Jesus that came to say, that's not where you're going to find peace. Paul says in Galatians 5.1, he says, it's for freedom's sake that I have come to set you free. And yet, we are handcuffed every single day because our life is not good enough. Because we don't have that next thing. That anticipation of that next thing, it's, it's almost euphoric in a way. 
which is why as we're coming into this Christmas season, it's so exhilarating and exciting. And yeah, it's mostly because of family, right? It's not about the gifts. You remember as a kid when, when you were so excited for everybody to come over just because of their presence, right? Not, oh, wait, no, the presence. It was always about the presence, not their presence. And the day itself New Year or Christmas Eve, right? That was like the day. You couldn't you couldn't contain yourself. You're just jumping around giddy as a as a schoolboy and you're just you you can't sleep that night. And then the day of Christmas comes itself, the day that we're supposed to be here celebrating a king, a baby that came as as a man, God in the flesh. And we can't think about anything but those dang presents. And then the day goes by and you open all those presents and, and it's as, as if this high begins to, to fall and now you're almost sad. I can, I can feel it like, like, a, like I used to as a kid. I can imagine I'm not the only one that by the end of Christmas Day, you're almost in a, a state of depression. Like if only, if only you had a, a family Christmas tomorrow as well where you can open a, another gift or another present. It's that anticipation that acts as a drug, but when that's gone, we're now, we're now coming down off of our high and, and we become a little bit depressed. I feel like, I feel like Christmas is, it obviously has, has been robbed from its original meaning in some degrees, right? We... We have turned it into a, a, a holiday instead of a celebration. We've turned it into something that is um, really the exact opposite of what Advent's supposed to represent. Advent is representing the coming of Jesus and our anticipation of that. So we're, in effect, reenacting that anticipation that the Israelites had had for thousands and thousands of years. And, and yet, this people of God, they once had this great nation, but now they're living, they're living as this oppressed nation, this nation that was not free. They had been, they had been ruled by at least three different nations in that thousand-year reign. Like I said, reduced to a people group that was probably about 5% of what they once were. And they were scattered. And so when they talk to Jesus about, is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So like, God, we've been in a wilderness. We've been walking in, in oppression. We've had chains. We've had our arms behind our back. We, we've not been able to be that promise that you gave us. But Jesus came to set us free, and they couldn't see it because they were expecting him to come in this power. They were expecting them to restore their kingdom of this world, not the kingdom that he came to bring to earth. And so they couldn't see him. Even these Israelites, even these disciples that had been with him for, uh, for three and a half years, 
you would think at least they could understand who this Messiah is and what he was coming to do. After all, he said it many, many times. He said it many times. And they would, he would even say something to the effect of, are you so dull? How are you, how are you missing this? So listen, he was baptized in the Jordan. Jesus, who came as a man, was baptized in the Jordan River, this river that is meant to symbolize separation, right? From one thing to another. In, in many respects, it symbolizes this wilderness experience from the promise. And, and many of us think that, that we're not meant to walk through the wilderness, and yet Jesus himself, coming up out of the Jordan, was, was baptized. The Holy Spirit comes down on him, rests on him like a dove. And it says here in Luke 4 that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And he returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the desert. Well, that's not right. That's, that's not right. That's not what God means when, when he says we, we are the people of the promise. That's, that's not what he means by prosperity. Why would, why would the Holy Spirit lead Jesus himself into the wilderness? To be tested by the devil for, for 40 days. Again, 40 days is a significant number. And it says that the devil tested him in every way, which means there's not a temptation that you will experience that Jesus himself, as a man, didn't experience as well, but empowered by the Spirit of God. Not because in that moment that he was God, but because he was a man, a, the Son of Man, who the Holy Spirit had filled. And he says this at the end of 40 days, he got hungry. I, that, that, to me, that blows my mind because I even think of I, the word fasting and my stomach just starts turning. I immediately, right there, it just, I just got hungry. Dang it. Every time. I, I don't know why other than it says that man did not, uh, man does not live on bread alone. You see, Jesus himself was the bread of life. And, and he's saying it's the word of God that he was living on. And so he was, he was feeding off of himself. He was feeding off of the word. He was feeding off of himself as the bread of life. He says the man does not live on bread alone, but the word of God. And so I think, honestly, that he was so focused because the Holy Spirit had empowered him to, to defeat this enemy, to, to fight back with the word of God against, against the devil. But at the end of 40 days, that hunger drew him out of the wilderness. Sometimes I think we get stuck in that wilderness and we... We're so hungry, and we're so hungry to be out of that wilderness, but we're hungry for the wrong thing. You see, in that moment, the devil had tempted him to turn this stone into bread. So he's basically saying, you can eat of this world. You can eat of this kingdom. At any moment, you just have to say the word, 
You just have to turn this thing into bread. And, and Jesus is like, that's the wrong food. That's the wrong thing to hunger for. And when we're walking through the wilderness, all we want is the blessing on the other side. But all we see as the blessing is this, this life that's better in the material world, in this kingdom. But God didn't come to restore this kingdom. He came to bring a new kingdom. He came to bring down with him the kingdom of heaven, which is the place that we reside in. When we are made new, we are now citizens of a different kingdom. But yet we keep wanting to feed off of this old, this thing that is rotten, this thing that won't satisfy. And so we're not willing to stay in the wilderness until we hunger for the right things. And we're so quick to be, to be free of the wilderness when it's actually the wilderness in our lives that causes us to actually start feeding off the right thing. Because when we walk through that desert and we are waiting for God to speak to us, we're waiting for God to show us and show up in power in our lives and free us, set us free from that wilderness, but yet in our minds we're looking to everything except Jesus. We're looking for that investment to turn around. We're looking for that job to come through. We're looking for our bank account to have more in it. We're looking for that person to affirm us finally. We're looking for all of the wrong things in all of the wrong places because that wilderness is meant to bring us into a hunger of the word, a hunger of the bread of life who is Jesus Christ himself. That's what he came to establish on this earth was his kingdom. So when we're asking for God, is it now, Jesus, we know you have all of these things that you want for our lives, but is it now that you're going to restore my wealth? Is it now that you're going to come and restore my life to that, to that place where I you know, was dreaming of the, the great job, the great marriage, the great family, the great house, all of these things? Are you finally going to restore that kingdom to me? That's not what God came to do. He came to give us freedom from that so that we could walk in peace, so that we could walk in such a confidence that he is right there with us, that we don't need any of that, that we're satisfied each and every day because of his presence, not those physical presents. This is an incredible part of the story is after he is coming out of the desert and he walks into a synagogue into his hometown, Nazareth. And he, he grabs the scroll of Isaiah. And he says, he, he reads this one spot. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight from the, for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What does he mean by that? Because keep in mind, this, these people, all of the people around him in this synagogue, they're waiting for him. They're waiting for Jesus himself. They just don't realize he's right in their midst. 
But they're waiting for him to come, not riding on a donkey. They're not waiting for a man to be born in a stable. They're not waiting for a, a man to come in, in weakness in their mind. They're waiting for a man who will come in power in a way that will restore their kingdom to that once glory day when David had established their foundation in Jerusalem. But here's where he's actually coming from. In Isaiah 62, 61 and 62. Man, I thought I had this marked. Here it is. This is, I'm just going to read. It's not going to be on the screens. I'm reading two chapters. It's going to be a minute. But pay, pay close attention. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the people. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come afar, from afar, and your daughters are carried on the arm. And then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. You see, that's all in the physical world because Isaiah is talking to a nation that isn't hearing from God, that isn't being blessed by God the way that they think it should be. They're a remnant. They're reduced to a, a, a small portion of what they once were, and they're exiled. They don't even get to be in Jerusalem. And so... This promise is coming. Foreigners will rebuild your walls and their kings will serve you. Though in anger I struck you, in favor I will show you compassion. Your gates will always stand open. They will never be shut day or night. So the men may bring you the wealth of the nations. Their kings led in triumphal procession. For the nation or kingdom that will not serve you will perish and it will be utterly ruined. The glory of Lebanon will come to you, the pine, the fir, and the cypress together to adorn the place of my sanctuary. And I will glorify the place of my feet. The sons of your oppressors will come borrowing before you. All who despise you will bow down at your feet and will call you the city of the Lord, Zion, of the Holy One of Israel. And although you have been forsaken and hated, with no one traveling through, I will make you the everlasting pride and the joy of all generations. You will drink the milk of nations and, the, and nurse at royal breasts. You will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring you gold and silver in place of iron. Instead of wood, I will bring you bronze and an iron in place of stones. I will make peace your governor and righteousness your ruler. No longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders. But you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again, and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and the days of sorrow will end. Then will all your people be righteous, and they will possess the land forever. 
They are the shoot I have planted, the work of my hands for the display of my splendor. And the least of you will become a thousand, the smallest, a mighty nation. I am the Lord. In its time, I will do this swiftly. For the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated, and they will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Aliens will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You know he's actually talking about you that you will be priests of the Lord, that you will be ministers of the gospel. That's incredible. That in, in this church right now, in this room, is a fulfilling of this promise. Instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, they will rejoice in their inheritance. And so they will inherit a double portion in their land, and everlasting joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, I love justice. I hate robbery and iniquity. To my faithfulness, I will reward them and make an everlasting covenant with them. And their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. Cat is a person that the Lord has blessed. You can look at her, you can see her life, and you can see that that blessing is, is not necessarily in her surroundings, it's not necessarily in her context, it's in her heart. She lights up a room now. She doesn't look as though she's sad and lonely, she looks as though she's accompanied by a king. And that's a beautiful part of what God has come to do. He's come to restore us to freedom. And that freedom is coming. If we look back to Luke 4, I, I left this out in, in on purpose because after he read that, after he said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. He wasn't just reading the scroll. He was saying, he anointed me. I am that king. I am the one you've been waiting for. Your expectations have been wrong. Your doctrines have been wrong. What you have formed in your head is wrong. You're missing me. He said, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight from, for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolls up the scroll and he says, Today, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. 
Which means in that moment, he said, after he had walked through the wilderness, after he had experienced pain and torture and torment from the enemy, for 40 days walking through the wilderness, and he comes out a man that is on fire and knowing exactly what he's supposed to be feeding off of because he is saying, I am he. I am the one you've been waiting for. And then they wanted to throw him off a cliff. Because, because we want a Jesus that will give us wealth. We want a Jesus that will restore our kingdoms to that dream that we had. Not the dream he gave us, but the dream we had. But he said, those that will be exalted are the ones that will become least. Those that will understand my freedom are the ones that are walking with my peace. That's why he came. He came to set us free. Free from... You can, you can fill in the blank. There's not a limit to it. It's anything and everything that you feel bonded by or bound to or addicted to or stuck under. And yet, every one of the apostles was imprisoned or killed for their faith in Christ. And not one of them said, after the Holy Spirit came and in, in, infiltrated their lives, not one of them said, I thought you were going to restore my kingdom. Because they were free, in prison, exiled, outcast, free. And I'm here to say that that freedom is coming for you. That freedom actually has been installed in you. That's the part that we struggle to understand, is when he came, when he put his spirit in, in a, maybe it's just in a form of a deposit. Maybe he's not manifesting himself in full measure in your life yet. Because I'll be honest with you, sometimes we want to go back to that place where we were enslaved because like the Israelites found out as they were delivered from their bondage of the Egyptians in, in the book of Exodus, when they got into that place of freedom, they could only see that, you know, it was back in that place that we actually could eat. It was back in that place that, that we actually had shelter over our heads did you really bring us out here to die? Sometimes we desire that bondage. Sometimes we would rather be stuck in that addiction because walking from the, the enslavement that we were in, God doesn't necessarily take us right from there to that promise. Sometimes he has to walk us through the wilderness first. And sometimes that wilderness looks a little more difficult than even the slavery. But it's on the other side of the wilderness. 
It's on the other side of that Jordan that we will walk in the promise. And that promise is peace. That promise is freedom. That promise is to be empowered by the Spirit of God in your life because you are free. But will we walk through the wilderness to get there? Because that's not easy. But he's with you in it. Let me pray. Father God, we come to you humbly today. And I'll be honest, we have great expectation. And we are anticipating a, an amazing work from you. And we are here at the ready. And if we're not ready, Lord, we ask that you help us get ready. But would you shape our hearts and our minds so that we would be expecting the right things that we would be expecting freedom even in the midst of our jail cell. That we would experience the joy that you have us, have for us. Lord, I pray over each and every one in here. I don't know why, Lord, but I felt that there was a heaviness over uh, many of us here today. And and honestly, I believe that it's a little bit of, of the enemy saying, you're not meant to be free. But Lord, I just pray right now that you would set us free, that you would show us what it is to be free in your kingdom, the kingdom that you brought to earth when you came. You came in, in weakness. You came in vulnerability. You came as a man and yet you were without sin yet you were in absolute righteousness because you are righteousness you came needing no food from this kingdom because you are the bread of life you are the manna from heaven as those israelites kind of grumbled that they would be better off as slaves, because at least they could eat. It was then that you sent them the bread of life from heaven. Because you want us to be free. You want us to walk through in freedom, to experience the promise that is on the other side of that wilderness, and you are with us in the wilderness each and every day. So God, I pray over us that we wouldn't necessarily just want out of the wilderness. That we could be okay letting you do your thing in our hearts. That ultimately we believe with all our hearts that the promise is on the other side of this thing that you're doing. Whatever this struggle is that, that we're going through, that you're asking us to persevere through. That it's in the wilderness that you are shaping our hearts. You're preparing us to understand that we have been given the promise in the first place. Because seeing the thing that you have done is often hard. And yet, that doesn't change the fact that it's been done already. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would give us the eyes to see that promise. 
that you would give us the eyes to see that work that you're doing in our hearts right now. No matter where we're at, no matter what the context is, whether it be absolute joy or absolute pain, that you are doing a work in us because you came to do that work in the wilderness so that we could walk into the promise. And I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.